Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 37 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. This episode will mark the first of four inter-season break episodes as we inch closer to the start of season three in September. To kick off the break, though, I thought I'd share with you all one of the patron-exclusive episodes that I release monthly in a bonus show called Spotchka Sessions. These episodes allow me to chat about other facets to the Star Wars universe than just the books. I've done an episode talking about Star Wars games, the Umbara arc in the Clone Wars, a silly episode where I took three Star Wars quizzes on the spot to test my knowledge, and more. For today's episode, however, I was joined by Fred Avizano, host of the YouTube channel Fred the Jedi, to talk about the first five episodes of The Bad Batch. Before we get into that discussion, though, I've just got a few announcements. Today marks our first episode in June, but before I get to our monthly charity donation, I want to wish a very happy Pride Month to our LGBTQ listeners and to the LGBTQ community as a whole. You all are one of the brightest lights shining in our fandom and in the world, and at Outer Rim Reads, we believe that love is love. And now for our monthly donation. Here at Outer Rim Reads, I donate $1 for every patron we have at patreon.com slash outerrimreads to charity at the start of each month. By the time I'm recording this, we have 12 patrons, which means I'm donating $12 to the Human Rights Campaign. The HRC strives to end discrimination against the LGBTQ community and works toward equality for LGBTQ people in all facets of society, whether at home, at work, or in any part of the community. Currently in the U.S., there has unfortunately been a wave of anti-trans legislation being proposed in various states, so now more than ever is the time to support the LGBTQ community from discrimination, bigotry, and hate. You can find out more about the HRC and the work they do at hrc.org. I also want to take a moment to thank the incredible patrons who make this show possible for you all. Seeing as we've wrapped up another season and are in a time of transition, I figured I'd give a shout-out to each and every one of our patrons. So thank you to Jared, DeVore, Fred, Hillary, Heather, Sterminator19, Doug, Sam, Nigel, Ellis, and Connor, with a massive shout-out to the real MVP, our patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. It's because of you all that I'm able to keep going each week and to produce the best podcast that I possibly can. If anyone would like to join this fantastic group and get access to our patron-only Discord server, episode bloopers and bonus audio, Spotchka Sessions episodes, and more, you can do so for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash reads. I also added a benefit to our Mandalore and Lothal tiers, and now patrons at those levels will receive a totally exclusive Outer Rim Reads shirt featuring various Star Wars novel covers in the show's lettering. This design was actually one of the first proposed logos for the podcast, and now Mandalore and Lothal patrons can have merch honoring the first stages of the show's development. In further news, our Season 3 banner for Light of the Jedi is now up on our Patreon and social media. It's a wonderful illustration by digital artist Frederick Nathan depicting Jedi Avar Chris and the Starlight Beacon. I'll post a link to Frederick's Twitter in the episode description. I think he did a truly amazing job on this piece. And as a reminder, patrons at the Tatooine tier and up will get an exclusive sticker of Season 3's banner. 
In lieu of the Search Your Reading segment today, I've decided to do an Instagram live stream on Thursday, June 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern. On the stream, I'll read out any thoughts sent in by listeners to last episode's question, and I'll also answer any general questions about the show, Season 3, Star Wars as a whole, and more. I haven't done something like this before, but I'm super excited to get a chance to chat a bit more with you all, and I hope to see you there. Again, the live stream will be on Instagram on Thursday, June 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you haven't already given us a follow on Instagram yet, you can find the link in the show notes. With those announcements out of the way, let's get into episode 37 of Outer Rim Reads, May's Spotska Sessions episode discussing The Bad Batch with Fred Avizano. Hello there, patrons from Tatooine, Mandalore, and Lothal, and welcome to episode four of Spotchka Sessions in May, where we'll be talking about the Bad Batch today, and I have the honor of being joined by one of our own, Fred Avazano from Fred the Jedi YouTube channel, to talk about the Bad Batch. Fred, how are you doing? Thanks for being here to talk about uh, what's been a very entertaining show today, but how are you doing? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, as always. And fresh off a trivia win tonight, so I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> I do have to say, you came in there swinging, you know, I think you easily got first place. I was impressed. I was wondering if anything, any kind of questions would be able to stop you. Um, but you took home the dub. You're feeling good right now. Uh, I, I've got to say, I'm, I'm impressed. Thank you, sir. I, I take a lot of pride in this Star Wars knowledge thing. Um, I mean, I don't know everything, <laughs> but I honestly, you, you stumped me on quite a few questions, and I'm looking forward to defending the crown next month. <laughs> I'm I'm interested to see how that'll, uh, how maybe your your new rivalry with the previous winner, Doug, will, will, will happen. But, uh, you know, I was impressed that your knowledge is is. is pretty vast i i should expect as much from just the 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 vast setup you've got behind you you know you're you're really living up to the star wars knowledge is is backing up the star wars collection so it's the full picture the full package um and so maybe no one better that i would want to be on to talk about the bad batch so we're like five five episodes in five episodes of bad batch in let's just start from the beginning though before we even talk about you know, what we've gotten with the show so far. When they announced the Bad Batch, you know, me personally, I wasn't too thrilled. You know, their arc in season seven of the Clone Wars wasn't wasn't necessarily my favorite. It was enjoyable. I, I thought it was a lot of fun, but I was kind of, you know, maybe in the middle of the fans, you know, neither. I wasn't like disappointed, but I wasn't over the moon um, with their announcement. So it kind of like, at the stage of when they announced the show and we knew that we would be getting an you know an entire show around this unique squad of clones what did that mean for you and your impressions uh when we found out that we'd be getting the bad batch show so i was actually extremely excited right off the bat just because i am such a massive clone wars fan it's kind of you know the clone wars and the prequels are my star wars it's my favorite 
era of Star Wars, but also my favorite content. And obviously we've known about the Bad Batch now for a few years. Didn't know we were going to have a whole series, of course, but we finally got to see them fully animated, Season 7. And I loved the arc. I thought that that arc in Season 7 was so much fun. And, you know, the audience kind of said the same thing. They all were like, that was a really good way to start the season. It was a lot of fun. The characters are so cool. And now they announced that we're getting an entire series. And knowing the creative genius that is Dave Filoni. And knowing that, you know, he now has like the full backing of the studio. Whereas before, obviously it took some time for him to convince Disney to finish the Clone Wars in the first place. Now that he's got that that backing of the studio behind him, and I mean, Dave learned right from George. Like, there is no better person to continue telling these kinds of stories. And in my opinion, not only the prequels, but the Clone Wars are the best reflection of what George wanted. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but, you know, <laughs> with, with animation, it allows you to do things that film technology could not keep up with and it allows you to to tell a story in a slower more methodical way so like if you remember back in the day a lot of people said you know the downfall of anakin was way too quick add the clone wars do you still feel that way probably not nope (laughs) you know so uh back to the bad patch though going on a little bit of a rant here but back to the bad patch um you know I was really excited. I love Clone Wars. And I think the main thing that attracts me and other Clone Wars fans to the show are the clones themselves. You know, they're, yes, they're numbers, but they are more than that. They're humans. They have personality. They are unique. They are individuals. And the heart of that is really what drives the story. And so now seeing that again in this type of setting where it's Order 66 is done these guys don't really have a place in the galaxy. It's something that we haven't seen before that I think is honestly a home run idea. Yeah, there's a lot of potential storytelling-wise in this era because like you said, you know, we have... You know, we have Rebels that takes place, you know, well after Order 66, but really when it comes down to the immediate aftermath of such a cataclysmic galactic event, we don't really, unless I'm wrong... I don't think we really have anything that is directly in the aftermath of it. And something that really intrigued me kind of more and more as we got closer to the airing of the show was that it's the aftermath of Order 66, but not from the perspective of a Jedi. It's from the perspective of of you know i know they're not really ordinary troopers because they're <laughs> they are unique and very set apart from from their other brothers but it's from the perspective of really when it comes down to it if you compare them to a force user just an everyday an every everyday shoulder uh <laughs> everyday shoulder wow uh <laughs> when it comes down to it it's from the perspective of more or less an everyday soldier and so with that perspective there how did that influence kind of your perspective and expectations on what we would get from the show, knowing that it wasn't going to be someone with a lightsaber, you know, no one with force powers necessarily, maybe Omega might break our expectations there a little bit, but realizing that it would be from the perspective of just 
just a regular squad. And again, I, I say regular just in, pers- in comparison to a Jedi. Um, but when it comes down to that, how did that kind of influence what you can- what you would come to expect from the show and kind of your perception of it, knowing that this would be the angle that we'd be getting? Well, I totally expected to see some sort of Force user in the series eventually. Because really, I mean, Star Wars is about the Force, right? Like, it's yeah. kind of... No pun intended, the driving force of Star Wars, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, couldn't help it. Zing. <laughs> um, but, no, in, in all reality here, knowing that we were going to get a show that really just centers around the soldiers and the troopers, I think it provides so much more depth to the world of Star Wars. Seeing things from other people's perspectives. Like, you know how things happen from the Jedi's perspective. And you even know how things happen from the Sith's perspective, right? You know what Palpatine was thinking throughout the the planning of the Clone War. You know what the Jedi were thinking while the Clone War was going on. And to even take it, you know, later down the road, you know what Palpatine was thinking throughout the duration of the original trilogy because of what he says in Return of the Jedi. So... I think getting the perspective of someone that's just not a Force user or, you know, not someone directly tied like Han Solo, I think is extremely beneficial for the world building in Star Wars. And I think that's what really gets people like you and I feeling like we are so immersed into this world. It's what makes you want to dive in more. The more knowledge we have on more characters and what they thought about you know, whatever event is taking place in front of them, I think that's super important. And I think it's awesome. So, you know, going, just going back to Clone Wars, you know, Filoni has said Rex and Ahsoka were the main characters and it's told from their perspective. Mm. So getting that, if you just look at the episodes that focus on Rex or like you and I were talking about earlier, the episode with the traitors, right? Yeah. That kind of content with the clones is something I've always loved and I will always love. It just, it adds so much fun to me. I love them. Yeah, it's the, kind of reminiscent of the Umbara arc, which is really, aside from the, maybe the first like five minutes when Anakin was there, and yeah, Pong Krell was there, but really the, the arc itself centered around, you know, Rex and Fives and just like the, the 501st, really like that kind of story that hones in on the troopers on the ground, the boots on the ground, just the just the soldiers. Um, I think it, it adds a richness to the storytelling that allows us to experience the material from just a unique angle, you know, not necessarily from the perspective of, oh, like, you know, Anakin's going to come in and save the day. Um, you know, it's, it's not like that. And so now when we're talking about the Bad Batch, um, we, we get to see the, you know, you, you were talking about some really valuable uh, and exciting world building. Part of what excited me and ex- excites me about it is that, you know, Order 66 was such a galaxy shattering event on, on so many levels. Just the influence of the Republic and the Jedi, it, it, it stretched across systems, but we're getting to experience such a, such a massive event and the implications of it from someone, from maybe the people that weren't necessarily targeted by it. You know, they, they were still a part of the order, of Order 66, but, you know, when it comes down to it, 
no one was really hunting the Bad Batch as they were the Jedi. So we're getting to see the implications of the in the galaxy from kind of people who aren't necessarily affiliated with this event that is just kind of shaped, you know, into the Empire and the fall of the Republic. And so that's that I found that very intriguing where it's, you know, they in the show, they are being hunted. Omega is being hunted with them. But really, we're getting to take a glimpse at this new era that the galaxy is in from eyes that weren't, you know, weren't necessarily the the, the victim or recipient of the kind of like the what happened in Order 66, which I, I think it's a fresh look at the galaxy. And as, as we've seen so far in a couple of the episodes we get to kind of see really like the human civilian implications of, of what has now happened and what is now shaping into the, the start of the Galactic Empire, which I think is it's so fascinating. Oh, I completely agree. Like we know, we obviously know the buildup of the Clone War and then you know how it all ends, which is, you know, the Empire. That's the result of all of that. But what does that transition period look like? Mm. You never really get to see because like, I mean, even thinking, you know, what's the transition period look like with the First Order? You know, like even that you don't have a lot of information on. So I think seeing that transition actually take place is going to just be fascinating. It's going to be such a fun trip. Like, I don't know how many seasons the Bad Batch are going to be. So I don't know. Obviously, this this galaxy isn't going to change overnight. The Republic isn't going to change into the Empire overnight. I know, I mean, they did in the snap of a finger, but you know what I mean? Like, all of the components that make the Empire what it is. It's not going to happen overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day. So seeing how the clone troopers go from their clone armor to this more generic stormtrooper armor, the uniqueness, it's funny because, like, the uniqueness is completely stripped of them when that changes, you know, uh, we've already gotten some some little nods, like the chain codes. I thought it was really cool to see that. And I know it's something so small, but it's a great addition to the show. So just seeing more of that transition is going to be, it, it's just going to be really fun. Like there's no other yeah. intricate way to describe it. It's just fun. Fun for for some people. <laughs> maybe yeah, not for, maybe, maybe not for depends everybody. Depends who's asking. <laughs> But uh, but you're talking about this this period of transition, and maybe that transitions us right into talking about what we're getting in these episodes, and, and that kind of really just uh, reminds me of what we got in the first one, and in, in, in aftermath, which is obviously in the aftermath of Order sixty six. Uh, but before we really talk about the transition of the galaxy and what that means for the clones, I think we can't go any further. Uh, unless we talk about the opening scene and sequence of the aftermath, which I, I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. But, you know, for, for context, it starts off, I forget the name of the planet that they're on. Do you, do you remember where they're on there? Or Yes, I, 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 I remember it, but it's late and now I can't think. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll, give me Give me five minutes, I'll remember it. Let me see. Uh, on Kaler, Kaler, uh, I'm, I've got the Wikipedia page here. They're, they're on the the planet of uh, Kaler. I'm gonna call it. Um, but basically, it starts off with when the order is given, and we're with Jedi Master Depa Bilaba 
and Caleb Doom, um, also known as Kanan Jarrus from the Star Wars Rebels. And we get that whole scene where, you know, the Bad Batch come and kind of relieve Master Balaba's forces and kind of save the day. And they're about to move on to like the next phase of the assault that they're on. And then the order is given and we get that really dramatic and tragic scene where we witness, and I'm not going to get into the discrepancies with the comic and all that. I don't particularly care much about that. I think it was still very brilliantly done, but we get to witness the death of Master Balaba and what that means for for Caleb. What did you think about just that really just heartbreaking, heart-wrenching opening to the show where really no punches were pulled and and right off the bat we're shown, yeah, this is the tone of what we're dealing with and it's going to be a ride and maybe not a ride that's going to be all sunshine and roses. It, It was a heavy start to the show and what were your thoughts on such a heartbreaking opening. Yeah, I, the one word that comes to mind is heartbreak. I mean, soon as it started and it pans down and you see Depa Balaba and Caleb, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I think I screamed at the screen and I was like, are you kidding me? We're starting with this? What are you talking about? How could you do this to us? I, I was... I was right? I was a little bit upset, but not in like a bad way. Like it didn't make me mad, but I was like, we're literally going to start with Order 66. That's how we're doing this. We, okay, we're going to have to buckle up because if this is how the show starts, by the end of it, we're all going to be in tears, man. Like, yep. <laughs> that brutal, brutal start. And for the record, I'm with you. I don't care that they changed the comic. Um, I think that the... If you squint, it all looks the same. You know, the story yeah. is still the same. It's just the lightsaber is a different color. And there's one moment that you don't see, which I understand that moment is pretty prominent and important, but you never know. Not everything made it to camp, you know, on camera or into animation. So I'm cool with the turnout of it. And I, I think it has a bigger impact this way. Anyway, as, yeah. as cool as the comics are, you know, I read the comics, I read the books, um, at least as many as I can keep up with at one time. Because there's, I feel like right now there's so much content coming at us at once. Um, but, you know, just thinking from a fan's perspective, more people are going to see what happens on the screen before what happens in a comic. Yeah. You know, the comic's been out for a long time now. And I guarantee you, more people are going to know this story as what they saw in The Bad Batch. So, because it's so similar, it's not completely changed... I'm okay with it. You know, it doesn't yeah. affect me. And, you know, I, I think that is a, a point to a larger conversation, how it's just the reality of Star Wars media is that most of the fans will consume Star Wars via the shows or the films. Like, it's just it's just easier to access than going out and buying a comic, which are expensive as they come, you know, and or, you know, a book or whatnot. So, you know, I, I'm with you. You know, it's... Uh, portrayed differently but i still think that the gravity and 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 power of the moment uh weren't phased at all it's it still hit me just as hard but we were kind of in the moment when uh because i think it was hunter and crosshair of the bad batch who were kind of chasing after caleb doom uh you know because he's running from them because he he just saw clones take out his master he's not sure you know who he can trust right now 
um, and he ultimately escapes. But in kind of that chase, we start to see Crosshair kind of being more in line with following the order that they're given to to kill the Jedi, to eliminate the Jedi, than, you know, Hunter, Tech, Echo, and Wrecker are. You know, Crosshair seems to be kind of the, the odd one out there where, you know, I think he says multiple times in kind of the opening episodes, you know, good soldiers follow orders. And this is the order that they're, that they're given. So, you know, we see where he's coming from. We, we kind of hate it. But we start to see the beginning of that turn. And I think by the end of the first episode unless I'm mistaken, I think it was by the end of the first episode, he has switched sides to the, to the Empire. Like, he is he is on on their side, you know, kind of against his squad mates and, and kind of bought in there. A lot happened in that first episode, but I, I know we kind of got a scene, a, a glimpse in the trailer of this kind of crosshair-looking clone, you know, kind of walking with you know, with clones now serving the Empire. And so we kind of got a hint that this would happen. And in the first episode, there it is, boom, he's he's on the other side. What did you think about that? What, was it was it rushed or was it kind of, did it feel in place with kind of the rest of the episode? A lot did happen in the first episode, but it was still a kind of a powerful and, and jarring moment to see already the Bad Batch is, is kind of split where, you know, one of them has turned and now he's kind of set up as the, you know, one of the villains in the show. Kind of what were your takes on that? It was, it was a lot. And I didn't particularly, you know, I was frustrated at Crosshair for wanting to, you know, kill Caleb. You know, we like Kanan, what are you doing? But it still kind of hurt to see one of them kind of just, just turn. Yeah, you know, I I remember predicting like months ago, like if one of them is going to turn, it's going to be Crosshair. And I've said this multiple times to friends that I talk to and stuff, but Crosshair always gives me like Cad Bane vibes, like just from the way he talks to like the shape of his head. And like, I don't, I don't know. He just always gives me Cad Bane vibes. And so he kind of has a little bit more of a, a villainous presence to him, even though he's not a villain. And I'm going to still say he's not a villain um, because this is all not his choice. Um, But I did predict it was going to happen. I did not think it was going to happen in the very first episode. That yeah. threw me for a loop. Now, I will say they did a really good job with it. I don't think it was rushed. And I don't think that they should have waited. Because if one of them is going to turn, it needs to be in close proximity to when Order 66 was given. Mm. You know, if I know there's a lot of rumors right now that are up for debate with Wrecker and his headaches. So yeah, an event might happen. But if all of the Bad Batch are together, it almost might feel too complete. You know, like, it's almost too good to be true. Like, everyone made it out, plus they added one. And now, like, they're just going around the galaxy together. It's a lot more heartbreaking. And I think it gives a lot more depth. Again, I'm going to use that word a lot, depth. And I know I've said it a hundred times, but that's really what this show provides. It when it's all said and done, there's so much depth to every one of these characters now because you see them, you know, kind of wrestling with the emotion of losing Crosshair. Yeah. You know, uh, what was it, episode three when they're looking for, I don't even remember what they're looking for. The Was it rations or whatever? But Omega, Omega opens that box and 
finds uh, Wrecker's, not Wrecker, what's his name? Crosshair. Crosshair. Um, <laughs> finds Crosshair's weapons kit. And yeah. you can see, if you watch all of their faces in that moment, it just stone. Completely emotions changed. Mm-hmm. Rapid. And it you feel it in the tone of their voice. And, you know, Omega's telling Hunter, like, we'll go get him back. We have to try to go get him back. Just to kind of lift his spirits. But... I felt the timing was right, and I felt like it was one of those necessary evils that have to happen in order for the story to continue to move in a progressive way. So, it it does kind of. I'm with you. Like when when Hunter was like uh, took some shots at Caleb. I'm like, whoa, bro, take it easy, take it yeah. easy, stop it. We we are fans. Stop. It was. It, it definitely played with my emotions a little bit, but yeah, necessary evil in my opinion. Yeah, one of the things that struck me in that first episode, you know, when they end up escaping Camino with Omega, and we'll, we'll circle back to Omega because I think she is the deserving of a conversation in in of her own. But part of what struck me was kind of the the reluctance of the Bad Batch, you know. And when I when I say that now, I'm I'm not Crosshair is kind of a, a another variable, not part of that, you know. I, I'm more talking about. Hunter, Wrecker, Tech, and Echo, kind of their reluctance to fire on on Crosshair when you know when he is trying to stop them from leaving. You know he is Crosshair is very zoned in. He doesn't care if he if he kills them. You know he is just kind of in the zone of the orders that has been given to him to to you know to stop them from leaving to kind of hold them there. And I think he almost kills Wrecker you know he, he shoots Wrecker and and I think he shoots Wrecker right I think Wrecker's the one who got hit when yeah. uh when they're trying to escape Camino. and part of what struck me was yeah how how zoned in Crosshair was kind of devoid of emotion devoid of the fact that hey these these guys that I'm shooting at right now I just spent like years and, and hundreds of missions with and right now I don't like I don't care, you know, or or maybe am, am I interpreting that wrong? Do you is, is this a matter of Crosshair not caring? It's just a matter of following orders, or is kind of is his care and emotion kind of out of the equation entirely with what the Empire is doing to him? Because it, it was hard to watch, you know, because we saw an entire arc of them working in such cohesion with each other, and then all of a sudden it's kind of a fight to the death. Is there any of Crosshair in what he is doing, or is it all kind of his programming at that point? It's just. It's just a lot of questions, and I just don't know how to look at what he is doing and and how to reconcile him with with his actions. Well, the way I I look at that scene, in that particular moment, I don't think Crosshair is even aware of what's going on. Because he's, if I remember correctly, he's fresh out of the the medical bay, right? They just souped up his chip. And I think part of what makes Crosshair who he is as an individual has been lost in that particular moment. Because later, you see, once he kind of arrives back into the the Bad Batch's old headquarters or barracks or whatever you want to call it, and he sits down, you can see in his face he he kind of has a little doubt about what's going on. So I think it you know it's starting to come back because of their genetic enhancements. We know that those chips aren't working according to plan. And so, even if they souped up Crosshair's chip, 
maybe it only works for a short period of time. And once that duration is ended, he kind of snaps out of it a little bit. He's still always going to have that good soldiers follow orders thing in his head now, Mm. though, until that chip comes out because it is somewhat affecting his brain chemistry. But I see that particular scene as he doesn't even see the Bad Batch as anything. I I think he sees blank faces. This is his mission. Go do the mission. Period. No questions asked. Just do what you're... Good soldiers follow orders. Do what you were meant to do. And that hurts a little bit. It hurts a little bit. You know, like you said, they fight with such camaraderie. Like, I mean, looking at the uh, training that they did together in the first episode, that is a testament to just how close they are. So it it definitely stings a little bit. still does. Yeah, I mean, it was really telegraphed uh, with with a heavy hand, I think, just sort of, you know, watching through the first episode. But that doesn't make it hurt any less, um, you know, especially seeing, like you referenced, you know, kind of that training scene where really it's just, it's like all different parts of a body just like working together to form a, to, to fulfill a, a single purpose. It was just, it was so fun to watch. And that's, it's a, that's something that has really grown on me from their season seven arc onward is how well they work together and and work off of each other that's not something we really got to see in this way with you know clones like fives rex you know echo and uh, well i guess echo uh, pre pre bad batch but this kind of fighting style and and action that we're seeing with the bad batch it's so unique to them and their you know, kind of specialities and capabilities where it's just, it's just, that's one part of the show that is just objectively fun to, to witness, I think. Um, and which makes it even harder to kind of stomach when we realize that one part of that is now removed potentially for good. We can get more into kind of your prediction about how Crosshair will end up, you know, at the, when, when we're wrapping up, but it, yeah, it, it, it hurts a lot. It, it does, and you know, you bring up a good point too, because one thing I want to point out, you know, seeing troopers with this much character, because now this show, the one thing I'm really grateful for about this show, like all jokes aside, they all have character traits now. Like it's not just, and I know the Bad Batch arc did provide some character, but this show makes it very clear what each person values, what each person brings to the table, and what they feel about one another. I think their character has really shined through. And seeing them work together actually reminded me a lot of my favorite clone squad of all time, Domino Squad. You mentioned Echo and Fives. You know, they were a mess. And then they figured out how to work together and yeah, most of them, spoiler alert, most of them ended up dying off or whatever. But, you know, watching them grow in specifically Fives and Echo, I mean, they were boys. You know, they were like this from the beginning. And seeing their relationship kind of develop through the Clone Wars was a really big highlight for me. And now we're getting that all over again with the Bad Batch. And it's one of my absolute favorite things to watch in Star Wars. I love when the troopers have, you know, this unbreakable bond. And even though Crosshair has defected 
and he is now an Imperial. He's not with them anymore. They don't see him like that. You know, they're still seeing him as one of their own who's a little bit lost right now. And I think that's, like, pure magic, man. I love that line. Like, that storyline, that arc, and all the emotions in it. I think the show is just doing such a good job with that. And I think it's kind of when it comes down to it, maybe one of the touching on one of the central themes in Star Wars is kind of like that hope that they they hold on to this hope that they can get him back. You know, I like how you said and how you pointed out that it, they're looking at him more as someone who is is lost right now in the moment that he's not, you know, for sure permanently on the other side. It's more of a fact that he he's kind of lost his way a little bit and and how they're holding on to that hope and helped on by Omega and how she comforted uh, Wrecker, like you had alluded to earlier, how it's like, yeah, we we can get him back. Like, we, we have to. And that they're not giving up on him, even though he tried to kill them when they were trying to escape Camino, And it just shows that the bond that they have runs so deep, despite all the circumstances even with the galaxy just turned on its head right now, that they're choosing to still hold on to that hope for him. And and I personally hope that, you know, that, that they can follow through on that and, and, and restore the old crosshair. You know, not, not that he was a particularly likable uh, character as they all come beforehand, but just to, just to get him back on their side. Um, but, but as I mentioned, Omega, I, I feel like we would be remiss if we don't talk about kind of the new lovable at least for most of us uh, I, I know that there's some people who don't who can't stand her character but uh, i think for the vast majority of of my experience with the fandom right now a lot of us are kind of just loving this character of omega a genetically or i guess genetically modified clone kind of redundant uh what what what, what would she be i mean um, i would i would still kind of call her a genetically modified clone but we just don't know the details of that modification at this point yeah. in time. I, I, it's weird. I just call her the way she says her name, Omega. That's it. <laughs> I, accent is just on, like, on point. Like nothing, nothing else. Like I don't need to even say she's a genetically modified female yeah. clone who is from. No, she's just Omega. That's it. <laughs> Omega. <laughs> I just love how she says their names too. It's just incredible. It's, uh, I'm turning away all our all of our New Zealand listeners right now. It's just a, they're I'm probably all saying like, it with us. They're right? Just... Yeah, <laughs> the bad bitch. <laughs> the, the bad bitch. <laughs> I I hope this stays in. Oh, it's got to. It's got to. Just with uh, with Rika and Tick and Hunter. <laughs> Crosshair. I am the oh, worst but, but, person for accents. I just want you know. I, I hope yeah. I didn't offend anyone. I just like saying Omega. It's so fun to say, and there's no judgment judgment right here. Uh, <laughs> but but on the topic of this lovable character right now, Fred, what are your impressions and and thoughts on Omega? <laughs> kind of like the new star on the on the Star Wars scene, and we really haven't gotten a lot of her, but. You know, as frustrating as she can be, just as a as a young child who makes mistakes, as we all have. So, you know, miss me with any of that criticism where she's, oh, messing everything up and making mistakes and all that. We we have been there. Maybe not in the stakes of a post-Order 66 galaxy, but yeah, Fred, Omega, I'll give the floor to you. What do you think? She's adorable. 
She is absolutely adorable. I love her. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe how I feel about her. But <laughs> it just circles right back around to she's adorable. She really she's adorable, but she's I think she's going to become I think it what we've seen is clear that it's going down this path. I think she's going to become the glue that keeps them together. I think she's going to be so vital to that story. And I know a lot of people think that she's a little bit annoying because she's a child that messes up and goes and gets lost and then, you know, things happen. But that's what kids do, man. Like, that's... Yep. Kids cause trouble when they're younger because they don't know better. Kids are naive and, you know, this is before the world has corrupted them. You know, they... And you have to think, like, this is the first time... She's been off Camino, which I've never seen not raining. Like, she can walk outside and not be just soaking wet, right? Like, I think that she gets to enjoy life a little bit more now. Mm. And I think I remember saying this. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. But she reminds me so much of Ray. When Ray. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. You know, I didn't know there was this much green in the whole galaxy. And then, like, when Ray sees rain for the first time on Octo, and she, like, puts her hand out and feels it, and she's smiling ear to ear. Those are the vibes that Omega gives without doing anything. Like, she's just... I don't know. She pops on screen. She's a... I almost feel like she is hope in a character. Mm. Because she, you know, like we kind of touched on before, she's the one that telling that's telling the rest of the Bad Batch members, like, we will go get Crosshair back. And then, like, Hunter gets, you know, knocked out, and she goes down into that hole to go chase after the Beast and get their ship part back. She did that. You know? And yeah, she got in a little bit of trouble with Fennec, but, you know, what are you going to do? How old is she? Like, 10? Fennec's like a full-grown badass bounty hunter. You know, like, what do you expect's gonna happen? I think Omega's a great character, and I'm trying not to get too attached. Because I'm scared. Because, like, and I know they they can change this in a bajillion different ways, but at this point, we don't know where she can go. She is not in any future Star Wars media. So, what happens? Just like the rest of them, what happens? I'm trying not to get too attached, but it's also very hard not to. I think she's a very likable character. Yeah. And and look, there there are some moments where you know, she might mess up and, you know, did she have to go chasing after, you know, her 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 doll when Fennec ended up kind of uh not manipulating her. I think she didn't outright kidnap her then. But you know, she makes mistakes that children that children do. You know, I don't care if she is a, a enhanced clone from Camino. You know that she is, you know, that she has some kind of ability that seems to be a little untapped. Like she is a, a child, and and I like how you said that she is kind of hope in a character. Like just in her character, we see hope, and we you had talked about how. She can kind of be that that glue that holds the Bad Batch together. And I like the connection that you made with her and Ray and kind of her experience of the galaxy really for the first time. And I and I got kind of 
emotional when she set foot on what was the planet when she uh with uh with uncut and run where'd they go um on sal how do you say that salukami salukami it's salukami i know that one salukami yeah i i got kind of emotional when she kind of sets foot on salukami for the first time and and how she kind of kneels down and kind of touches dirt you know, for for the first time in her life, you know, kind of feeling the earth between her fingers and, you know, kind of experiencing the sun and, and nature for the first time in her life. And I think it's moments like that where they're kind of nondescript, kind of just like kind of inconsequential moments in, the, in terms of the Bad Batch show as a whole, but kind of moments like that that remind us that there is kind of still kind of the small things, the small moments that we can find hope and joy in, like even if it's just touching dirt for the first time. But I feel like that is that she is kind of our entry point into moments like that in really a desperate and desolate time for a lot of the galaxy that I think that it's through Omega that we can be reminded that there is still kind of just childlike joy that can still exist in really what is a, a, a dark time in the galaxy. I completely agree. And, you know, I wanted to talk about that dirt thing a little bit more, too. Because, you know, she steps out of the ship. And she feels the sun beating on her face for the first time. And she, like, looks up and closes her eyes and takes this long, deep breath. And then immediately bends down and touches dirt. And she's like, what is this? And Tech is like, that is dirt. And she's like, this is amazing. Like, she's so amazed by dirt and the sunlight. You know, moments, like you said, it's those very simplistic things that can bring out that childlike joy or just put a smile on your face, kind of almost make you borderline emotional. There's a lot of small moments like that sprinkled throughout Star Wars. Um, And it might not even be something as simple as dirt, but... You know, like we already touched on Ray and her experiences, but another moment that makes me feel like that is after Luke blows up the Death Star in A New Hope and he gets out of that cockpit and Han and Leia are there and they do that big group hug. Their, their faces, like they weren't even acting at that point. Like they were just having fun being around one another. It's one of those scenes every time I see it, I smile. That's how I feel about it how I felt and still feel about Ray. And that's how I feel about Omega as well. And, um, you know what? One more moment. I'm just full of them. This one actually makes me cry every time though. Star Wars is one of the only things that can really make me emotional. And even with that, I don't cry too often, but that hug at the end of the rise of Skywalker between Ray, Finn and Poe, you know, they're, they're, there is so much relief and hope in their eyes. It makes me just cry buckets every yeah. time. And Omega for me is kind of working on that same wavelength. Yeah. It's, uh, I do think just back to the, the group hug, um, how a lot of that too, I think is also just kind of the realization that we came to the end of the saga, you know, and kind of like that last hug to kind of close things out. It, it hits hard every time. And, and I just, 
I like those kind of like those smaller moments of hope that we can gain through these kind of just beloved characters. You know, I I I love the trio in the sequels and they're yeah. I think they're great and 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 Omega I think is, you know, still still yet to be flushed out entirely, but I think what we're getting from her is very much kind of like that that bright spark that we need in the galaxy at that point. For um, sure. And I do want to kind of clear that up. I didn't mean like that Omega is like on that level yet. Oh no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we've seen her for five episodes. Like I don't want to get over my head here. I just think that, you know, she is her actions and her emotions that she reflects on screen is very reminiscent to that other things that I brought up. And so I, I think that's the direction she's going in, which gets me very excited to see more of her character. Plus, you know, who is she? That's a big question that um, I'm very excited to know more about. And I've got my theories. I know you got yours. And, you know, that's a whole discussion we've had in, in private before. And, uh, ooh, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. A lot of possibilities that I'll, I'll pick your brain a little bit uh, for uh, as we when we're wrapping up eventually, but you had mentioned, or did I mention it's late? I'm forgetting. Uh, Fennec Shand. Yes. Uh, I think we both she, did. We both did. Uh, she appeared in episode four cornered where she attempts to kidnap Omega when they're doing a, a supply run. And, you know, ultimately she, she fails, you know, Hunter's able to kind of, uh, to save Omega and they escape, but really the, you know, it's, it's, a beautiful chase scene. Uh, we really saw the badassery of Fennec Shand kind of on on full display. I think she wrecked Wrecker in like one move. Uh, <laughs> she was like running down to, to to Clocker, and she just took him out with ease. Poor Wrecker getting hit in the head like every other episode. It's it's so we'll, we'll touch on that. But I, I want to talk about Fennec Shand and, and kind of pick your brain as to who you think is is hiring her here because she makes contact with kind of an unknown source at the end of the episode um kind of confirming that yes they escaped but you know she's going to keep pursuing them and really there's that big question of okay who has sent her after them i don't think it's the kaminoans you know because they kind of let omega escape with the the bad batch from kamino so, but that there is that kind of looming question of who is behind kind of this new player in the game because as we find out in episode five rampage um from from sid i think that's sid right uh, their informant sid is that they're still being chased by fennec you know she's not she wouldn't have given up then you know, she's still hot on their tail trying to retrieve omega for for someone for something who do you think as center because they mean business you know they're sending a really qualified bounty hunter in fennec and we see what she's capable of so clearly clearly there's some important and kind of wealthy assets behind this who are you know i guess able to afford someone like fennec but but basically who do you think is is behind this and who would want omega where they're willing to send really a bounty hunter to go just track her down across the galaxy it's really just a new a new kind of phase to this story that, you know, that we're kind of dealt with right now on top of everything, you know, with Crosshair chasing them, trying to get Omega back. You know, there's a lot going on right now and Fennec has been added to the equation. So there's quite a few theories I have. And originally I did think it was the Kaminoans because essentially 
only one of them let her go. The rest of them didn't, so they could be after her. I still think that is a high possibility, uh, because that's where she would be, I think, in their eyes, the safest. The other option is Palpatine himself. You know, obviously Palpatine was fully aware of everything the clones had to offer. I think if anybody knows what the deal is with Omega, it's probably Palpatine. Since he, you know, I don't know, orchestrated everything. You know, he would probably know. (laughs) Um, I know the theory has been circulating about Boba Fett. I don't think I don't think it's Boba Fett because after before this last episode I did, but after this last episode, like you said, Sid pretty much told them you got to have a lot of money and you know a lot of resources to be able to pay this bounty hunter what she needs to keep going. And Boba Fett is still a fairly new bounty hunter, and I know he by this point he's made a name for himself, but. Enough to hire someone like Fennec? I doubt it. And that leads me to my last theory, and I cannot take credit for this. And I haven't told you about this yet. I'm really excited about this. Uh, This actually comes from my YouTube comments. Somebody commented and said, What if it's the client from The Mandalorian? What? (laughs) Hear me out, because I actually think it makes a little sense. They said the client, they didn't give any explanation for that but i'm thinking it's what five years after return of the jedi the mandalorian season one and the client is a fairly old man so he would have been what 30 at this time if he's been working with the empire from its infancy or from the republic days he could already be a pretty big player And obviously he was a massive player by the time of the Mandalorian. And if you have loyalty to the Empire and to Palpatine, after Palpatine's quote-unquote death, there has to be some sort of some sort of tie and relationship there as why as to why you are so loyal to this man. And it it has to be the longevity of how long he's been in business with Palpatine. Seems like it could make sense. I mean, timeline-wise, I, I I can't run the numbers right now, but you know he was after a force-sensitive child in the Mandalorian, and we're kind of I don't know if Omega's force-sensitive. I've I've been hearing some people think that she might be, or or really we don't know what her kind of unique ability is. But it, I guess if if it could be the client, it, I guess. <laughs> kind of this could set the precedent for what we see in the Mandalorian kind of years later and it I would literally tie everything together but then what happens to it just kind of leads to the question of what happens to Omega like did that fail did Omega get you know removed from the board where they needed kind of an, another host I, the, the possibilities are endless <laughs> I think you know maybe um yeah, I mean, the possibilities are endless, let's be honest. Who who knows? <laughs> but I do think that the client could make sense. If Omega is able to escape and, you know, not be caught by Fennec, 
their their plan to get Omega fails or it succeeds, but she is able to be rescued. Mm. And maybe after she's able to be rescued, you know, the, the trail goes cold for the Empire. And then maybe they set their eyes on a different target. You know, maybe something is a more pressing matter after they've attempted and failed at capturing Omega time and time again. And who knows, maybe the client hiring Fennec to capture Omega is what gets him in high standings within the Empire. I think that's a a possibility. Um, Because if she escapes, that would not be his fault because it wasn't his, you know... yeah, it was his mission to capture. It's not his mission to keep her imprisoned. So it it kind of fits. It's it's very weird. But then you have not only do you have Fennec in the Mandalorian and the Bad Batch, but then you have the client in both shows mm. hunting a child. Would that be like <laughs> like too too much of the same to be true or just on brand like it's to quote the great man george lucas it's like poetry uh, it rhymes uh, no i don't i don't know i just think it i just think it's a very interesting a idea it's an interesting fun idea it's something that can continue the connectivity between everything that's going on mm-hmm. obviously dave has his hands in this because he's like the creator of it, but he also has his hands in the Mandalorian and basically everything else that Star Wars is doing from this point forward. So if anyone can pull it off, I think it's Dave. I mean, if anyone can, we've seen him pull things off like this before. Um, but I think that make, that makes sense. You know, it, just, if we're looking for something to tie everything together, this could be part of that connective tissue um, especially if he if he has a hand in this as well as the Mandalorian, part of the fun of experiencing a new show like this is the theories that come out. You know, you and your on your YouTube channel and just in the larger fan community uh, as itself is just different takes on what we're given and really how it could mean anything. Like any of these could be true, which is just it's it's fun to theorize. Um, I did not think of the client, <laughs> not remotely, but now I'm intrigued if that's a possibility. It. Uh, Obviously, it is a possibility. I'm intrigued to see how it plays out. But I, I could also see the, the Kaminoans kind of renewedly after I kind of dismissed it because, you know, they, I think, are still looking for kind of a, a a template for other clones. I don't know. It seems like their work is not entirely done. They want to keep this going, and it would make sense for them to want to bring omega back especially because like you pointed out it was really only one or two of them that were like okay yeah no we're good with letting her escape but really there's more players there i don't know i don't even know if lama su was kind of on board with that it's kind of the the other one whose name i'm forgetting who who let them escape so they're still potentially a player i could be intrigued by that possibility kind of uh, again after kind of shrugging it off yeah i'm i am really curious about that that line, I'm not going to be able to quote it perfectly. I have not seen the episode enough, but when they were talking about going to like the next phase of production, so they yeah. don't, so they don't, you know, fall out of business or whatever. I wonder if Omega is the key to that, and maybe they're letting her go so she can survive, so they can start it, 
or maybe you know like Lama Sue lets her go and then the other one is it Nala say or something Nala I don't know say? I don't remember um they they all sound the same their names are so similar there's a lot of M's and L's and I don't know um a lot of alphabets yes lots of alphabets <laughs> But I, I am curious to see if, like, maybe she's the key to that. And maybe Nala Say kind of knows, like, it's over. You know? I think, if we're just going to jump on the theory train here, uh, I I think that it's possible that Kamino becomes, I want to say, the first small test of the Death Star weapon. I know it's kind of sort of Jetta, right? Like, it's kind of sort of Jetta yeah. right now. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Now I'm like, are they going to blow up Kamino? <laughs> but, like, they didn't blow up the whole planet mm. of Jetta, right? They just blew yep. up the city. city. What if that test goes to Kamino first? Because now they don't need the clones. They've been decommissioned. And they know... That the Kaminoans are extremely smart, right? Like, they created millions of clone troopers for the Republic. They can come up with something that might combat what the Empire has to offer. So, why not take them out? And as far as I'm aware, I could be completely wrong. So, you know, someone yell at me on Twitter or something. But um, as far as I'm aware, I cannot recall any time a single Kaminoan has been seen outside of the prequel trilogy and up to where we are at right now in the Bad Batch. Yeah. The closest thing we have is the Kaminoan cloning lab patch that Dr. Pershing is wearing in The Mandalorian. Other than that, where did they all go? Because they're too smart and way too technologically advanced to just disappear out of nowhere. I mean, in in fairness, they are more or less kind of like a very private species where I guess we, I don't know, they, they, they kind of keep to their own business i don't know if we'd really see a reason for them to kind of leave their work on camino but one of the questions i've wondered is okay now that the clones have the clone production for the empire has stopped you know what happens to them you know one of my friends uh kind of theorized that in i think in one of the battlefront games there was like a clone rebellion on camino um, and we know that that Lama Sue and the Kaminoans are kind of displeased with the Empire for wanting to kind of shift to conscripted soldiers rather than continuing the production of clones. So I wonder if there could be like an uprising there and kind of they maybe throw the Empire off of Kamino and kind of are just kind of stay in their bubble for, you know, and they live in their bubble happily after happily ever after or if Palpatine sees them as kind of a loose end that needs dealing with, if they get wiped out, I I don't know if, I, I think the Death Star would have been used or would be used on Kamino kind of before Jetta, but I do have to wonder, you know, what will become of them if they're able to throw the Empire off of Kamino or 
if there's kind of like a mini purge, if Palpatine kind of wants them snuffed out, it's, I don't, <laughs> I'm kind of leaning towards the darker ending, but I just don't know. But like you're saying, they're very smart and calculating and, you know, I think they'd want to keep their footprint in the galaxy in some capacity. And it's, I guess it's just a matter of if Tarkin, Palpatine, the Empire would stand for that in any capacity. It, well, if you think about it, like after this full transition is done and there are no more need, there is there is no more need for a clone trooper, you know, is the Empire going to just pull out of there at that point? Or are they going to hang around as like a free base because of all the the resources and, you know, financial compensation over the years for the clone army? Like what what does that look like? There are so many questions. I am struggling to think of a way where the Empire just lets the Kaminoans live in peace. I don't think they would. I don't think they would. I don't know if there's a happy ending for the Kaminoans if, you know, even if they do kind of rebel. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just don't see there being many happy endings in this series, which, nope. I mean... We're five episodes in, and if we go back to episode three, that was some dark stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, we started with Order 66, which was emotional and dark as it is, but then Crosshair doing what he did in episode three, super dark. I don't feel like it's going to get less dark. It's not going to be sunshine and rainbows as the path continues to move forward. Like... We know the Empire comes into power. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah. You know? I, I, I don't think things are going to get easier at all, uh, especially when it picks up with, with Wrecker and his headaches. And if that is truly foreshadowing his kind of turn uh, like Crosshair, it's not going to be an easy ride. I'm so nervous about that. I am so nervous for my boy Wrecker. Wrecker's my favorite member of the Bad Batch. He is already in my top five favorite clones of all time. I'm going to be very upset. I have a feeling I'm going to be very upset by the end of this season. I don't see it going well. I do think that Crosshair is going to stay a villain. I, I don't think he's going to come out of it. I think they're going to come to the realization that maybe... He's gone. You know, they ran one test on him, like we talked about earlier. They ran the one the one supercharge of the chip. They're going to keep doing that. You know, if they run tests, they're going to. They're smart enough to. And they see that it loses its, its touch after X amount of hours or days or whatever. They're going to keep supercharging him up. He's, I think he's lost for good. And I think... That Wrecker might be the next one to go. After that, you know what? I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip pretty far ahead. I think the only two to make it out are going to be Hunter and Omega. But a third potential option is Echo. Dave Filoni likes for his clones to survive. Okay? We know that with... Gregor and Wolf and Rex, which we will touch more on in here in a little bit, but we also know, like, later on, Kix survived. 
in a very cool way. You know, Kix ends up being frozen for 50 years. And he comes back out and now he's part of uh, Captain Athano's gang from The Force Awakens. Like, that was super cool. That, that kind of thing happens. Echo has been through a lot. Like, he's been through a lot. And he's one of kind of the more original clones that we got to follow. I would like to see him survive in some capacity. And maybe it's not helping the Rebellion. And maybe it's not, you know, ending up with Rex. I would like to see him survive. But then again, I don't think he will. Because if he did, I think he would have been in Rebels right there with Rex, Gregor, and Wolf. So, unless the Bad Batch go hide on their own planet, I don't think it's looking so good. I think I'm with you there. Uh, Part of my solemn prediction is that I think it's going to take a Rogue One route where um, they're just not going to make it. Uh, Because I do wonder how they tie into, and I guess this can kind of transition into, and and you've already kind of started with this, just expectations for where this is going to end up. Uh, Because, you know, I do wonder how they tie into the larger galactic picture. I guess that kind of leads me to wonder where Omega kind of ties into the larger picture of Star Wars, because I can't see her kind of moving on without Hunter. So I think if she survives, I think Hunter survives with her. I feel like they're just they're just intertwined or starting to become intertwined to some extent. But I think it's... Uh, I, I would agree with you that if there's two to survive, I think it might be them. I think I think Tech is kind of kind of edged ahead as, as my favorite right now. Um, I don't think it's going to end well for the squad. And I'm not ready for that. <laughs> I don't think I ever will be. But it, it's just we've seen some very dark moments in the Clone Wars. We've seen dark moments in this show already, how you touched on Crosshair in cold blood murdering civilians, uh, you know, unarmed. Uh, We've seen some dark turns, and the galaxy only gets darker. But I guess kind of in in theme of looking forward, you mentioned Rex. We know that he has shown up in the trailer, so we know that he, he will make an appearance in the show at least once. How do you think he fits into this? Because we know he ends up surviving, you know, well into Rebels, past Rebels, you know, (laughs) through Return of the Jedi. You know, he survives a while. How do you see him tying into their adventures? Uh, Will it be kind of like how the Mandalorian treated Ahsoka, where it's kind of like one episode and done? Or do you think he's there for a few? How How do you see him tying in? So I actually think Rex is going to be very important not just to the show and its plot but to the audience a lot of people right now their complaint is that it doesn't feel like the story's moving it doesn't feel like you know they're just planet hopping right now you know but i mean they're on the run what do you expect like true i i personally don't understand the criticism like tv shows are slow like you go episode by episode for a reason. And Dave never creates a single thing without a purpose. Everything we've watched, there's a purpose for it. But I get it. People want more. People want the story to move forward a little bit faster. Just to kind of see more of that you know, world building and galaxy and turmoil. You know, getting to that point. I think Rex, whenever his introduction starts, is the key to that. 
I don't think Rex is going to find the Bad Batch and then be like, cool, this is what you need to do, bye. I don't think he's going to be in just one episode. I think it'll be an arc. Classic Clone Wars three-episode arc, maybe four. Mm. I actually believe he's going to tie into this show next episode. Next episode. I think next episode is when he comes in. Because the planet they're on now, uh, Ord Mantell, that looks like the planet that Rex makes his appearance on in the trailer. I think. There was some desert. I think, was it was it kind of like a desert, sandy area that he turned up in the trailer? I, I forget the specific scene, but... Yeah, I thought it was a little like a little bit rocky as well. Which is what we got in, in episode five. Right. So I, I think maybe in this next episode, Rex could pop up. And I think that's when things gonna are really going to start to pick up for the show. I think that we will also get, possibly, an entire episode of Rex finding clone troopers to get their chips pulled. I think that's how he ends up, you know, with Gregor and Wolf. I don't think, you know, those two characters just didn't have them. Like, they all have them. How did that happen? Now that we know Rex himself committed Order 66, obviously Wolf and Gregor did. So maybe Rex is going around the galaxy looking for clones with their chips, trying to get them taken out. Maybe that's when they run into Gregor and Wolf. Maybe the Bad Batch plus Rex have to fight another battalion of clones. Mm. and Rex takes the survivors and gets their chips out and turns them back to normal. And I think that would be a beautiful thing to see. Like, really heartfelt kind of moments like that. I live for that. Like, that's that's good yeah. stuff. But in terms of the bigger picture, you know, I don't see him being in, you know, every episode from here on out. Uh, I think once he gets a hand on Gregor and Wolf... I think that's when maybe they're like, maybe we need to just go hide for a while. Because, you know, at that point, it might be late enough where the conscripted soldiers are the majority. And now any clones they see, they're going to wipe out. Yeah. Maybe that uprising you were talking about happened. And now all of the clone troopers are contaminated. Yeah. Because I, I wonder, this just came to my head. Oh my God. I wonder if the Kaminoans can flip the switch. Like, can they turn the chips off? Huh. They put them in there. If there's... If there would be kind of like a remote <laughs> way to, to deactivate from Kamino. Just like a... Whoop, turn, you know, hit, hit, the, hit the switch down, right? <laughs> Cut it off. Cut it off. That'd be interesting. Could all of the clones then go through an uprising... But by that point, the conscripted soldiers are just too high in numbers. And kind of that's how they get wiped, wiped out. out. And oh then hunted by that everyone else. Turn. That took a turn. Because, <laughs> like, you know, when it comes down to rebels, like, as far as we see, there's only a few that, that we see. Like, you know, with, with Gregor, Wolf, Rex, you know, we don't really end up seeing and i don't know i i don't really know the the timeline of like their life expectancy like you know 
would a lot of them have died off? Like, I don't, I don't know how, how similarly they all age, but you do have to wonder because we don't really come across any more clones by the time of, of, you know, rebels. If there's kind of like that sinister turn where they do get kind of just eradicated by the empire, just with, with just the sheer numbers of stormtroopers. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, and I also hadn't thought about kind of the potential of Rex's kind of place in the Bad Batch tying into how we see him end up in Rebels with, you know, uh, Wolf and Gregor. Could make sense, but you just added a whole new loop to that equation that I don't know if I'm ready for. I don't even know if I'm ready for the rest of the show, but, you know, here we are. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that just came to my head on the spot, and now I'm sad. I'm the big sad now. You're the big sad. <laughs> like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Anakin. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's been there's been a lot of theorizing, a lot of just uh, talk about what could come next, what already has happened. I guess as we as we go to wrap up, Fred, if you could just kind of sum up your just general impression of the show of what we've gotten so far. And I guess kind of your just broader hopes for what's to come. You know, we've talked about kind of specific theories and, and plot lines that could that could carry on. You've spoken, you've touched on people's criticism of the show. You know, one of my friends even said, you know, hey, we, we've kind of seen this before where, you know, either a highly skilled individual or group is with this kind of unique child that that is being hunted by bounty hunters you know uh you know we've we've kind of seen this play out before is this just mandalorian 2.0 you know but there is as you've pointed out potential for new turns that we could not expect or you know haven't seen so far kind of happen and kind of change the dynamic of the show whether that's through rex or through whatever fennec is up to and her employer whoever that is you know what are your thoughts on, on what we've gotten so far and, and just broadly looking forward? How are you feeling? I actually still feel great about the show. I, I, it, hasn't, it hasn't, you know, made me feel disheartened about it in any way yet. I'm still loving it as much as I did in the first episode. And I don't know if it's because I'm just such a big Clone Wars freak, but, you know, trying to be unbiased as possible... I still think the story is good. Like, I think the story is moving forward. You're on the run. Like, you have to planet hop. You know, like, yeah. the story is providing the explanation for why they're doing what they're doing. And I love all of the connective tissue. You know, the MCU really made that connective interweb. Yeah. Like, perfect. Like, everything's spot on. There is no, like, there's no questions to be had there. Everything is weaved with such precision. And now I feel like Star Wars is taking that same path. And it's something that I thought Star Wars fans would really enjoy. Because, you know, we are very technical and very, hey, I know this. No, this happened. You know, if there's really one clear story where everything ties in together, it makes everything so much better, I think. And I think that the show is doing that. I still love it. I look forward to every single Friday. And, you know, some of the criticism I don't understand. Some of it I do. But one thing that I can say without a doubt is this will not be The Mandalorian 2.0. 
I know there's a child. They may or may not be force sensitive. And I know there is either a significant person or persons with said child and more significant person or persons hunting said child. Yes, those are similar. But I think the Mandalorian is going to a happy place, at least for the child. And I don't think it is humanly possible for this show to have a happy ending. Like, <laughs> Unfortunately. I believe... Okay, how do I want to do this as simple as possible? <laughs> I believe, when it's all said and done, like I, told, like I said earlier, uh, Hunter and Omega will be alive. They'll be on their own. And I think that was foreshadowed in episode two. When he's asking Cut, oh, so that's how you disappear? And then he tells him how to disappear. Mm. Hunter's already gauging that if they're going to survive, they're going to have to hide. Eventually. This is going to catch up to them. The Empire does come into power. Let's not forget that. The galaxy is going to be darker and darker and darker as each day passes on. Where, for the Mandalorian, at least we know for a good amount of time, it's pretty peaceful. You know, there's, there's a little moment of peace there. In the majority of the galaxy, in between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Um, and yeah, the First Order comes into power and all that stuff, but I don't think Mando cares. And you also have to think, the child is now with Luke. Mando is not going to be about the child anymore. Mando is going to be about... Mando. Period. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be about the Mandalorian. Not the Mandalorian and Grogu. And you know what? Maybe the Bad Batch does something similar. Where Hunter and Omega decide it's time. They bounce out. And the rest of the members of the Bad Batch. Wrecker. Tech. And Echo. Their journey continues. It's not going to be Mandalorian 2.0. They are going to differentiate from themselves. But all Star Wars looks the same. Always has. Always will. And I can go on a really big rant right now. So I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do appreciate kind of uh, your takes here, Fred. Um, you know, a, as you said, you know, kind of Omega is is hoping a character. Uh, I I. I'm firmly convinced you are hope in a fan. And uh, I know that, you know, I've said on, on Twitter and also just uh, in the Discord, you know, I have kind of lost a little bit of my flame for this show, but I think hearing your takes, hearing your perspective on the show and, and what you think it can be, what you think it is currently, and just moving towards, it, it's helped me to, to smile upon the show in, in a better way. So I appreciate your energy and your time and also just talking about the bad batch for you know the past hour and hour and a half but thank you so much for for taking the time to talk about the bad batch fred if the listeners if the patrons wanted to find you and your takes and your work and your voice about star wars on the internet could you tell them where they could find you i would love to tell them where they can find me so you can <laughs> <laughs> I will oh, find um, you <laughs> it is very late okay so you can find me on YouTube at Fred the Jedi. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Fred the Jedi. And you can find me on Instagram 
at Fred the Jedi with two eyes though, because the first one was taken. I am also on TikTok as Fred the Jedi, but I don't post that much at this moment. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. I'm always talking about whatever Star War I feel like talking about that day. YouTube is, you know, you're, I'm a pretty standard YouTube channel, I think, but I cover a lot of different aspects of Star Wars. I don't have a niche. I think Star Wars is my niche, and I think my takes on Star Wars are my niche. So if I feel like playing a game, I'm going to play a game, and you guys are going to watch it. If I feel like, <laughs> you know, if I if I feel like talking about some crazy theory, like I might have to make a video on this whole Camino people go bye-bye thing, you know, I'll make that. Uh, I do react to the Bad Batch every Friday morning as well. That goes up as soon as I possibly can. And yeah, it's just open off fun time and I would love to have you join us. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. And if you're interested in more conversations like these, then you can join our community over at patreon.com slash outer rim reads. If you'd like to follow us on social media and to stay up to date with the show, you can find us on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. And again, be sure to tune into the Instagram live stream on Thursday, June 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern. I hope to see you all there. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is hosted by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Geha as well as Simon Van Bakum. We'll be back in two weeks with episode 38, the second of our four interseason break episodes. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Oh, you're asking about the young girl over there using my cantina wall for target practice? I think she said her name was Omega? 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 <laughs> Don't mess with her, though. She's part of the Bad Beach. <laughs>